Wait, do you guys smell that? It smells like dangling candy at the deadline. Like, part of my French there, but, like, he's going to score 40 goals minimum. You hear it here right yeah, now. Yeah, the full unanimous, this is the theory of the Real Housewives of Hockey. Welcome to the Real Housewives of Hockey. I'm Stuart Miller Davis, your host for the evening, uh, joined by Riley Miller Davis and Evan Lee tonight. And so we're going to get started um, with a, a bit of a heavy topic. Uh, and we're just going to go over the, the news uh, since from since we last talked. And then we'll get into sort of discussing some of that news and get along with uh, with our podcast for the day. So Edmonton, we'll start with Edmonton Oilers owner Daryl Cates has been uh, implicated in a a lawsuit as a, a third party, um, which alleges that he was paying money to a minor uh, for sex. Um, there's lots to this story, and I would recommend uh, reading Katie Strang uh, or other. There's been other good reporting from CBC, ESPN. Also, I would urge you to read this. Read the screenshots yourself that have been released. To be clarified, that's uh, screenshots of texts sent from Daryl to to the minor. Yeah, that's a, a good uh, good clarification. Uh, and then uh, Hockey Canada, Rick Westhead reports that in 2003, there's sexual assault linked to the the team in in Halifax, uh, and Halifax police have been instructed to go look at that case again uh, for the the investigation happening at. Canadian Parliament, um, and there was a, a tweet from uh, Ian Kennedy, who's a reporter with the Hockey News, that had an excerpt from Jordan Tutu's book. Uh, Jordan Tutu is a player on that team, and I won't read the the details of that tweet, but it's awful and very emblematic of the sort of hockey culture, uh, the the macho. Macho masculine culture. And then as well with Hockey Canada, they were using an equity fund that was paid into by registration fees to settle sexual assault lawsuits in the past. The London police are reopening their case from 2018. And uh, the case that first came out, we've talked quite a bit about uh, already on this podcast. And there's a new story from uh, Dan Robson, Katie Strang, and Ian Mendez on The Athletic earlier this week um, that has lots of detail about what happened. And I, I recommend going to read it, not because it's pleasant, but it's it shows you what goes on and what what we're really sort of trying to stamp out. And then final, um, last piece of news. Uh, lots of reporting on it from uh, Global BC's Sarah McDonald during the trial. Um, so Jake Vertanen, uh, formerly of the Vancouver Canucks, is on trial. Uh, and during his during this trial, uh, the defense asked why she didn't invent an excuse other, th- other than pushing him off uh, physically and telling him he didn't telling him that she didn't want to do this. I think it's actually worth saying some of the exact questions that were asked to her because it's, it's so mind fucking that this is allowed to be said in a court of law. 
to a woman in a case. The, the questions asked were, why didn't you say something like having a yeast infection or being menstru or menstruating? She was asked why she didn't perjure herself to Vertanen, or lie, I guess. It's not under oath. But why she didn't lie. That's what we're teaching people, that you should lie to get away from having to have sex. Yeah, it's, it's horrific. And then, um, just a last little note uh, from this whole thing. Katie Strang on Twitter said that she had asked Gary Bettman, whether he thinks hockey has a culture problem, he said he does not, at least not at the NHL level. Stated that he thinks that, or he felt that incidents that have surfaced are reflective of larger societal issues. And I won't, uh, I won't go too far into that, other than just to leave it, leave those words with you. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. The way I read into them, and maybe I'm wrong here, is what he's saying is if there is issues in the NHL. They're more reflective of look at how they were brought up. Look at the full com at hockey community. There is a societal issue with our game. But I think that that's hockey having a culture problem. <laughs> I, I agree. But anyways, uh, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about the, this whole equity fund uh, thing before we, we, can, we continue on to our other discussions for the day. But... So pre-COVID, between 575 and 721,000 kids registered in hockey. That means that money was paid to Hockey Canada for each of these kids, paid for by parents to help their kids play hockey and enjoy a sport, not to pay off sexual assault lawsuits. Well, one thing to note there as well is the amount of money that goes to charities that also help pay for these kids. Those that money still goes to Hockey Canada. Yes, exactly. And we have no idea. Uh, like, like Hockey Canada is is as a as a government tied entity does have to release their financials. Uh, they don't have to release the minute details of it. So we have absolutely no idea how much of money is, is going to the from this equity fund is going to sexual assault lawsuits. But as somebody who played hockey for whatever, six, I think I was 16 to 18 years. Um, my parents were paying for me to play hockey every year. And I highly doubt that they would have wanted their money going to pay for sexual assault lawsuits rather than paying for better opportunities for me or other kids or protecting the kids. Uh, I just don't think that it's, 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 it's just awful that this is what, this is what has been happening with our governing body of the sport that has encapsulated national identity for so long in Canada. One thing I want to clarify is it's not just lawsuits. It's also the hush ups. And like, I think that makes it even more disgusting because a lot of the times these are just people come and usually they're not necessarily in a great situation or they are, they want to go away right away, but no one gets to go to law. Like there's no court convened for it. Or they're, they're settled completely behind closed doors and we never learn anything about them. And that's been, that, that was the history of it. Yeah. 
it's that we're we've actually we've got reporters like Katie Strang and Rick Westhead bringing these stories to light, and it's incredibly important. Yeah. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, it seems like if you are if you can afford to to play hockey, you can afford to hush this up for your quote unquote career. And I, I, I was listening to to Rick Westhead on the Steve Dangle podcast, and if you haven't listened to that, I would recommend it um, heavily uh, because he he's got a better perspective, one of the best perspectives on what's going on right now out of anybody because he's in the thick of it reporting. And he said the the world will always have sexual predators and that's as a very sad thing, but also I think a very true thing to to realize and Hockey Canada will have to deal with them in the future. It's just how the this mess shows that they've haven't done a good job of dealing with them in the past and so we need to take steps forward to to make sure that they are better dealt with. Okay, are we uh, we prepped for moving on to more news? Moving on to to, to hockey news. To hockey news. Yep. Um, I didn't really say much, but I mean, I think it speaks for itself. Just I'll say this very quickly. Just like the whole culture with all this stuff about it's 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 an uphill battle. Well. That may be a vast understatement, but an, uh, an uphill battle for um, survivors to go and report the people that, you know, violated them. And like, just it, it, it should tell you everything you need to know when like people are so afraid and frustrated or like they, they don't even want to bother um, going after the people that violated them because they know how freaking difficult the process is and how many times they have to explain themselves and basically just for people that are maybe not necessarily aware of things that i'm not trying to preach stuff or whatever but just for for someone for a survivor to keep reiterating what happened to them is traumatic because essentially what they have to do is they have to relive that experience mentally for themselves i'm in order to tell the story to 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 someone else so um yeah just hope that that changes obviously there's some slippery slopes with things of you know people being um trustworthy and whatnot I, i'm obviously like aware of that um but you know i'd like to think that we we try to give people the benefit of the doubt um obviously if there's obviously um circumstantial evidence that's that's very strong uh, as well but what i want to quickly i want to quickly so can i hop in first Yep. There's something you touched on there, Evan, about like this survivor having to come forward. Mm-hmm. One thing you, you you were getting towards, but I think you failed to mention was every time that they bring it up, they're giving that situation power again. And as far as a healing process of it being a traumatic incident, the more often you give it power, the more ingrained that feels and the more worthless you can feel yeah i think that's a that's a that's a excellent point to bring up from, um, like yeah from a psychological like healing standard or healing process yeah it can be it can be its own dramatic experience absolutely um and we're, we're not i don't think we're like i just want to like clarify this like we're not here 
speaking for everyone in a, in a sense, right? We're, we're, we're saying what we believe in. Um, and yeah, like obviously I'm very fortunate to say that, at least for myself, right? To not have gone through an experience like that. So, um, and like I hope no one should ever, but you know, hope people don't, or as few people as possible um, as this culture gets tackled. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's, that sums it up well. Uh, we need to <laughs> we need to continue to to fight this culture in in, in the sport and by changing things at the top. I think is is a big part of that right now. Moving on to the hockey hockey news, um, David Quinn, the uh, next head coach of the San Jose Sharks. Uh, Kevin Weeks reported it was a three-year deal that Quinn will be the bench boss in San Jose, connected to general manager Mike Greer at at college. They were at Boston? Side note, um, who gives a fuck? Thank you. Uh, Quinn, David Quinn, just checking myself. All I have to say, Riley is rest in peace. Is this confirmed, by the way? Like, oh yeah, it's it's confirmed. Um, oh my, rest in peace. That, the that, that, yeah, Hockey News reported it. Sportsnet's reported it. Um, I'm about it. It's confirmed. No, this sets us back for three years. Either that or. You know, look at the hurdle contract, look at the the way that's set up, and maybe it speaks to something and says, hey, David Quinn, you're going to be here while we're shit and retooling, and then when we're actually gearing up, when we need someone who's good, uh, get the fuck out of here. And if that's the case, I'm fine with it. But if that's not the case, oh boy, Greer, you are a feisty devil who's not looking to be here very long. And if you get my reference about it being a feisty devil, you really catch on quick. <laughs> um, the other piece of business that uh, Mr. Greer made uh, was he sent beloved defenseman Chewbacca Burns to uh, Carolina in a, a trade that is essentially a salary dump. They get Stephen Lawrence and goalie prospect and a pick back in that trade. Yeah. Um, who Lawrence, they've signed to a one year, $1 million contract, probably play on their third or fourth line, but end of the end of an era for Burnsy in San Jose. Yeah. We just sold our most sellable asset for nothing. So that's, that's a great precedent. Scary. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois accepts his qualifying offer from the Winnipeg Jets. One year, six million dollar AAV, uh, which pretty much every, pretty much everybody is saying that this is his one and done. He's gonna take his six million dollars and walk straight out the door. He unrestricted free agency next year. I uh, I actually have a different take. I uh, wait. Do you guys smell that? It smells like dangling candy at the deadline. That also. Highly possible. And then uh, Patrick Laine, as we move into a Calgary Columbus corner, Patrick Laine signs an extension uh, with the Blue Jackets at four years, eight, seven, eight point seven 
AAV, uh, where he will be playing on a line, maybe, probably, uh, with Johnny Hockey, who leaves Calgary, signs an extension, extension, <laughs> signs a seven-year contract with the Columbus Blue Jackets because reasons. I was kind of when I I've talked I talked about this uh, for a for a class, and I said from a from a hockey perspective, this makes no sense to me because I think that he had a much better situation in Calgary, and then would have an even better situation also if he had gone to New Jersey, who repeatedly also offered reportedly also offered more money than Columbus. But apparently Columbus is a great place to raise a family and they've got a I, uh they're gonna challenge you on the, the on the devil's things too. They've I, got a baby coming on the way. <laughs> sorry, yeah. I, I'm gonna challenge you on your on your uh devils are better than uh than Columbus. I think the decor in uh in Columbus is better. I actually believe in their goaltending more. And I know I don't think they have good center depth, but they have really good winger depth, including I think Patrick Line is a much better winger than Holtz. Yeah, I, um, they I don't know. I, I I think it it to me, I don't know. I just look at you go Jack Hughes with Gaudreau. I like that a lot better, but. I don't know. It could that? be it could be the winger the wingers carrying them in Columbus. <laughs> you like you like Jack Hughes, Goudreau, Holtz better than you like Line A, Roslovic. Or Jenner. Uh, it could be Jenner. Jenner. Yeah, no, I I like I like the offensive upside. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think Patrick Line could score fifty five goals. Possible. I agree. He's going to score 40 goals minimum. You hear it here right yeah, now. He's so going to score 40 goals minimum. Like, I, I hear you, but I just think the rest of the pieces are better off. Like, like Boquist is much better than Moreno. Rensky versus Hamilton. I think Rensky's a better all-around defenseman. Maybe not offensively. Goaltending's and a wash. Goaltending's a wash. And then, like, Gavrikov, really good defenseman. Yep. Yep. It's, uh... Well, we'll see. We'll see. Another um, piece of Calgary news. I'm sure most of you listening have already heard that uh, Matthew Kachuk, now a Florida man, as he gets dealt in, according to the league, to uh, Trilliving, the Calgary Flames general manager, the first sign and trade in NHL history. As well as the first hundred point player for hundred point player. Wow! In the Matthew Kachuk goes to Calgary for Mackenzie Weger, and not the player. Not the, that's not the hundred point player. My apologies. That's just a very good to elite defenseman um, who they get in that trade. Calgary's um, now best defenseman. Very arguably, yeah. <laughs> um, and then Jonathan Huberdo, there's the other hundred point player in the trade. There's a rest there's a mix of other things in the trade, but they're not as important. Draft picks and, you know, uh, a prospect um, who by all accounts is a good player, but not as important as 
the two sort of elite pieces, I would say, coming to Calgary in this trade, who are both expiring. And so that'll be the first piece of business for Trilliving, I would think, would be either figuring out figuring out a long-term plan with these guys or finding a way to flip them. <laughs> Which shouldn't be too hard because neither of their cap hits are very high for this season and they're one year left, so you wait they wait out to the deadline. I mean, what team isn't going to try to make $6 million to add Huberto for a playoff run? What team isn't going to add or try to find a way to get... Well, and if you... And if you $2 million for a top-pairing defenseman. Well, and I've, I've seen um, a good... F- Good friend and future guest of the show, Mike Gould, um, is a, a Calgary uh, fan reporter, um, and he was reported or he was musing on Twitter that uh, the before before the the Matthew Kachuk trade, he was musing whether the they should look into to Lindholm uh, trading Lindholm with retention. He's he's got one year left, um, and he was like, "We can get a top five and pretty much guaranteed top five Selkie guy who's going to put up seventy points for it's like two two and a half million dollars with half retention." Honestly, I think I do you better with Uyghur. Yeah, well now now you could if you if you retain if you retain half the contract on Huberto, he's like a three and a half million dollar player. You think a team's not going to jump all over Jonathan Huberto at three and a half million? You could probably, you you could probably Wait, get a lot. Can you imagine, uh, imagine you Tampa trade out and get Huberto at half cap? <laughs> Evander Kane goes back the other way in the Battle of Alberta trade to get Huberto playing with McDavid and uh, Dry Saddle. That would be insane. I would insane. be insane. If I can, uh, single guy in the line has over 100 points. Easy done. Yep. <laughs> oh, and just for just for clarification, it, it, the trade included Cole Schwind and a 2025 first round pick, as well as a fourth round pick going back to Florida. Yes, you are correct. Do you mind if I take the floor? Go floor is all yours. So I like. Everywhere I'm seeing most of the like the, the YouTube page or YouTube channels I follow, most of the uh, like Instagram pages I follow, and like comments I've seen on different videos and like on posts, people are saying that Calgary won this trade, and I disagree because as we just talked about, their options right now are either win this year and then say, "Cool, we got our cup." Doesn't matter. Flip these guys and then hope that that flip pays off. So we can't even really judge the trade at all then. So that's that's the Calgary side. That that's their two options. Whereas Florida picks up Matt Kachuk, signs him to an eight-year deal, which is very, very similar to one Sasha Barkov. It's 500 k different. And you have those two from the ages of 24 and 26, over five plus years together, as well as Sam Reinhardt, 26. Sam Bennett, 26. Verhage, 26. Duclair, 26. Lundell, 20. Even Ekblad. like Ronald Ulcers, 25. Aaron Ekblad, 26. You, like, you look at uh, Spencer Knight, 21. They don't have to win this year. Yeah, and, and well, uh, yeah, that was the first thing I said, was this looks like a good deal 
for both. I thought this was like a good deal for both sides, uh, but it all depends on what Calgary does in the future. Like I give it sort of a, it's a probably a B plus for Calgary. Like if I was giving trade grades, it's a B plus B for Calgary and like a B plus A minus for Florida. And it could be, I think on Calgary's side, it could get much worse. I don't know how much better it's getting for that. Adam? Um, I'm with you there, Riley. I, I think that, I mean, we talked about this at length last night when it, when it happened live, but... Um, yeah, we watched the tweets come in minute by minute, pressing refresh. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like, it just, it's an uphill battle in the sense for, like, Calgary with, like, if... Huberto and Weir, but at the very minimum, they have to re-sign Huberto to make this trade, even in any sort of way. Um, and like, I guess the like one encouraging sign is that apparently, from what I've heard, Huberto um, like lifted his no trade clause to go to Calgary, like a team that he felt like okay, I don't mind going here. Um, and so, like maybe that speaks itself sort of but again we'll see what happens and if like it's a disaster year hubert has gone and also like you guys were saying i think wisely they're both on the last year of their contracts hubert and weaker and what team would not want like just the fact that you could get half cap on both those guys and they're not making that much money hubert is making 5.9 million so 2.8 million half cap and then uh Uyghurs making three and a half million so half cap that you have what like one point seven above yeah exactly what fucking team would not want to add both those guys at half cap even if you have to pay a shit ton like those two guys you add those two level of players into your lineup that is better and worth more than adding like your normal run-of-the-mill trade deadline guys and i'm costing like a late first round pick anyway if you're a contending team so it just makes so much sense for like any contending team to go after them i guess that's like the only good thing if like calgary for whatever reason realizes oh shit we're in over our heads like part of my french there but like they realize that okay we actually suck then like yeah they could probably sell well potentially potentially but again it's a lot there's a lot of factors at play and questions that need to be answered in order for a clear winner to emerge from this trade but because of the level of uncertainty from calgary's side i think florida wins in that regard because they have certainty on the player they have Matt Kachuk lined up for the next eight years, which lines up with Barkov's contract as well. So you have two superstar franchise players locked up for eight years. And also, he's five years younger than Huberto. Huberto's 29, Matt Kachuk's 24. It literally extends their window to contend and win. Um, something that Ryan and I both strongly agree, agree on. So in that regard, Florida wins the trade because they they help themselves be better for longer when they already have a good team rather than Calgary kind of getting gutted in the sense that they just lost their two best players. So yeah, I think uh, kind of speaks for itself after everything I said. So my biggest question would be like, hypothetically what's next for both these two teams, assuming both want to compete. So my Evan and I were actually talking about this last night and what well, we thought our instant thought after seeing that Uyghur was part of the trade was Florida's defense aren't that great. Like you have Aaron Eckblad, who's a top tier defenseman. 
And then everyone else on their D are like, I'd rather if you played on my third pair. So the trade proposal we came up with, and honestly, please send us an email. Let us know if you disagree, if you think it's a bad trade, if you don't think that works because of X, Y, Z. But we're going to bring Jacob Titron home to Florida in return for Patty Hornquist. Basically, his money, because he's on a one-year deal, sending him to Arizona where they don't care about cap for a 2023 second, 2024 third, 2025 second, and a 2025 third. That does leave Florida with no top three rounds till 2026, but you're adding another guy who is, how old is he? He's coming in at what age? 24. 24. So same age as Matt Kachuk. He's is cap controlled at a very reasonable contract of four six for the next three seasons to this already pretty stacked team whose average age is somewhere around like 25. Oh, their average forward age is 26. Average defense age is 27. A pretty nice setup. <laughs> yeah. And like we're looking, looking at the numbers, you're actually getting an upgrade on Mackenzie Weger as a player. So, I mean, that, that, that on top of the fact that like Jacob Chicharin has not had a career year yet. And like, I strongly believe that he could do very, very well on a team like Florida. Just look at the, the amount of talent that they have on that team and just. Well, I mean, Matt Kachuk's what? Like, you're comparable to him on Florida is obviously Lawson Krause. <laughs> like, he's not as good, but. Like, yeah, yeah, not as good, well, not as good as, as Lawson Cross, of course. But um, Lawson Cross is obviously meaner. It, it, exactly, exactly, and and we know that meaner equals better. So you know, um, yeah, um, no, but okay, though, seriously, seriously though, like, I ch- dude, I I could literally see Jacob Trigger as like a left-handed Dustin Bufflin in Florida. I think he could be that yeah. freaking good. You have those, you have him and you have Ekblad and then you divide, like whether you put them as like an extremely good top uh, uh, defense pair or you like divvy them up if that works better. And then like, that means that like you have two really good defense pairs after and come playoff time. Like that is extremely useful to have that level of ability to match up against your opponents. So, so, I just want to get Stu's take on this trade because this he, he hasn't really we, he wasn't there for the formation of it. So, Stu, what do you think? I think it makes a lot of sense, and like Florida's been the the rumored place for Chickering for a while, like because he's from or grew up there basically. Uh, so it would be a homecoming, and the the player makes the the player fit makes a lot of sense as you guys both outlined. And also with the Hornquist, it the cap does work and. Yeah, like as you as you said when you sort of introduced it, like Arizona don't really care about Hornquist money for one more year. They just have to. They just have to ice a team. Yeah. Will, uh, wait, wait. Can, can can we like mention one more thing, Riley? Yep. Remember how we did the um, uh, draft pick analysis? If this were to happen, like the amount of draft picks Arizona would have can Arizona. you like just like yep. list that off because I think it, it that really helps to explain why this would be in Arizona's interest as well I won't go through all of it because it'll take a hot minute but the main highlight that I want to point out in 2024 they would have nine picks in the first three rounds that's a lot do you, you want to just give the first yeah just the give the number, the number of draft picks in the first three rounds because I think the following, it, sorry 
No, I said give the give the number of draft picks in the, in the first two rounds because I think that really highlights. Yeah. How, how so they currently would possess one first, three seconds, and four third round picks. Then the following season they would have one first and five second round picks. Yeah. So you can do a lot with those picks to get whatever you're looking for, or you can just be throwing darts at the board. And as long as you have some competent people you hire, you should get some talent. It's uh, it's an, it's, (laughs) it's a good way to stock the cupboard full. Uh, Uh, Definitely. For sure. (laughs) Now flipping to the Uh, other side, we just said, what, what, what do you do if you're, trying to compete and you're Florida. What do you do when you're trying to compete in your Calgary? I have a theory, but do either of you two want to say yours first? I'll let you guys still, go first. I still feel like they need, like, one more piece, and they have $9.3 million in cap space. I'd be looking... I'd be going pretty hard at Nazem Kadri. Like, I know that there was the the Nick... Like, he Nick. He nixed a trade to Calgary um, when the Leafs were trying to trade him to get TJ Brody, um, who ended up in Toronto anyway. uh, But from what I read, from what I heard, from what I understand, that trade was vetoed by Kadri more because he didn't want to go anywhere. It wasn't Calgary. But then once he was told he was getting traded, then he accepted the, the trade to Colorado. Also, he would pretty much be signing up to play with Jonathan Huberto. So that's a, that's a pretty good incentive, I would think. Now, mind you, they still have to sign Manny Giapani, but that brings me to part of my theory. Are you done there, Stu, or is that, was that your theory? That was the extent of my musings. So... I'm going to go a step further off yours, because that's part one of mine. Part two, you have to sign my Mangiapane. So, let's say, let's say Kadri doesn't want to go to Calgary, but no one else is really offering him the big bucks. You try to get him to say, hey, Huberto's here for a one year. We'll sign you for a one year. If things go south, you're all gone at the deadline. If things are going well, we might be able to sign you guys. And if not, you're, you're going to play beside Jonathan Huberto on a one year and try the market again. So that's a big draw in. That way you can just change the numbers a little bit. You have some like, you know what I mean? Like if he wants that term deal, if he doesn't, I would kind of give him both scenarios. That makes sure. For sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Step two, look at how many NHL level defensemen they have. Because they also haven't signed Shillington, who I think they will want to resign. But they have, just put your hands up. You're going to want to count here. Hannafin, Anderson, Tanev, Zadorov, Uyghur. Falmaki, Maloche, uh, Mackey, Gilbert, and Chillington. That's too many guys. So if if Tanev wants to go somewhere, slash, there's a spot that he fits that's outside of 10 teams he says no to. So, you know, I feel like 20, uh, 22 teams, someone's going to want him. He's a pretty good player. You could drop four or five right there, and that really helps with signing either Mangiapane or Shillington or both. And let's not forget, you don't trade guys for nothing. So Exactly. Yeah, but the main thing is I was just trying to make the Kadri thing work while being able to retain some assets of their own. Yeah, if you're a team that needs a right-handed defenseman, 
give Calgary a call. They've got a few. Yeah. So, Evan, did you have a different theory, or are you going to stamp the full unanimous, this is the theory of the Real Housewives of Hockey? Um, I think I think you guys made some really good points. Uh, I don't know, like, I haven't thought about it extensively. At this point, like, they... It's either this, they have to commit to just trying to be as competitive as possible. And I think that's what Brad Tree, uh, Tree Living wants to do. So I think that's what's going to happen. Although from a, I don't know, from a, like a whole bunch of perspective, like they could just go into a full rebuild if they wanted to. Like, can you guys just check if they should have all, they should have their first round picks, right? For the, they have a 2023 first, second, they have a 2024 first, second, third, they have a 2025 first, first, Second, third. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So they do have their their draft picks available for, for like the next three years. So, a, f- a full rebuild is an option because if you think about it, right? Like you guys were t- talking about it. They have a selkie level. Yes. They have a selkie level. But this was, this was assuming you're competing. Was the question? Right. Okay. So assuming they're competing, yeah, you're right. They they literally they should be heavily considering going after Nas and Kadri at this point because. Backlund is not a legitimate viable to see if you want to be a contender. He's a good player, but he's not the player he once was, right? He's at the end of his career. Lindholm, I mean, he was really good last season. Yeah, I mean, but Backlund, really good. Backlund as, a, as an expensive 3C is fine, right? You yeah. slot Kadri in. The, the whole lure is you're going to play with Huberto. And then you still have... Lindholm, you could play with Toffoli, right? I, I think Toffoli could be like, yeah, at minimum, he's a 20-something goal scorer, right? At best, like he's a 30-goal scorer, which which great, right? If you have him going alongside Lindholm. And then you you, you figure out, okay, where do you slot Mangiapane in? Because Mangiapane, I think if he plays with Huberto and Kadri, I think it's very viable that he could score 30. I think very much so. Um, and then, then you have to kind of figure out and plug the holes after. At that point, like, figure out what fucking sorry the language but like what team you can maybe like take advantage of like do they have some do do they have some sort of like forward asset because honestly they needed they need another like top six forward still after that there's a gaping hole there so they would need to address that um would you do tanev for um half cap kevin lebank for example yeah, like their options, or they, or or Brad Tree Living could go take advantage of of, of uh, Mike Greer and go get like Thomas Bordalo or like Eklund and just give away all their picks to do it. You know, like well, all they'd have to do is offer Milan Lucic and they're good to go. Fuck it, apparently, pretty much, uh, apparently, apparently, actually. So, um, you know, viable. You know what? Here, you know what? Just because huh. I've already gone down this route and I'm just gonna bury the hatchet here. Like, uh, you know, Calgary just goes out and get gets uh timo meyer you know just go like they like go get them they're like okay here we're gonna sign you an extension give, just give you a whole bunch of money and um yeah like i think calgary would be okay at that point after i mean we were talking about this the other day like power forwards are hard to get and exactly and like if you look at it and i think i think the power forward would fit under um sutter there and nakachuk is probably the best timo meyer is probably number three no, or number he's, def- he's definitely up there. He's still very young. He's 25, 26. 25, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you're getting, you're getting like five prime years out of him. So, like, you know, I think, I think you kind of, you add that in. So, you get Kadri, your top six is, let's say, Meyer in this case, Lindholm, Toffoli, Huberto, Kadri, and Manjupani. It's not bad. 
you can definitely work with that. Um, and that's not even mentioning like their defense too, right? Like, let's say for whatever reason they couldn't keep Mackenzie Weger, well, go out and get a really fucking good player back for that for him because he's still he's still relatively young. So you know, there, there, there's ways I think that they could kind of move around and stuff. And like we haven't even talked about like if somehow they hit freaking jackpot in this upcoming year's draft, that might be able to help them too, right? Moving forward, if they want to be maximally like competitive. So that's technically an option if they want to kind of go that route, but it's dicey because the whole thing relies on them being able to keep Huberto at the very minimum. And Huberto wants to be able to or, or if they can get a really good return on it. Exactly. I mean, it, it goes either way, but we're, we're operating on the assumption here based on everything I said that they want to be as competitive as possible, right? Okay. Um, and that, well, that, that's been part argue- of like messaging from like Brad Tree living, right? There's no, nothing to indicate that Calgary is going to go rebuild mode, at least not right now. I would also argue that if they, even if they are trying to rebuild, go sign Kadri on a one year and do the same. You get to, at this deadline, you would get to trade Huberto, um, Lucic in theory, but no one's going to take on that contract. Although, unless it was half cap, but you yeah, want half cap. Kadri and Mackenzie Weger. And uh, Elias, well, Lindholm was two years, but you could trade Lindholm as well. Very much so, because his contract is, for the level of player that he is in today's market, like he's worth like, a couple million more than what he's getting paid right now, arguably. And it's because it's a two-year deal, it could be more valuable because cap yeah. certainty. Like we saw, yeah. we saw what cap certainty meant to a team like Tampa, what they gave Chicago. So, you know, something to be said there with that. If you have the right buyer, or so if you're tearing down and you tr- take trade Cadre, uh, Huberdo, Lindholm, Uyghur at one deadline. You don't think you're getting a pretty good haul back? I mean, you should be able to get it at the very minimum three first round picks back. That's a very low bit of one, if you ask me. I know, but like three first round picks, and then like that, I mean, that's just the starting point, at least with the picks, and then add in yeah. everything else. You know what I mean? Like you, you have to get like A level, B level prospects, plus whatever NHL roster players, right? depending on what the demand is. But yeah, so. It's possible they they could they could do exceedingly well in those trades. It was they're smart bringing point being too. Point being, thank you for making hockey fun and giving us a gigantic move that could be franchise altering for both of these franchises. Gives us lots to talk about, lots to think about, lots to watch out for. Can I say one more thing? I've seen a few people say that this is the biggest trade of the cap era. Easily, easily. I would agree with that as well. I would argue it's one of the biggest trades of all time. Yeah, because it's also the first sign-in trade in history as well. So that that alone just first hundred for hundred point player. Exactly. Yeah. Those two things intertwined make this historically like groundbreaking trade in NHL history. Like, like the the kind of comparable I can think of was Zuban for Weber, Not but that well. wasn't even it wasn't even really the same. See, that's what I said to Riley last time we were talking, and then he like very quickly like told me like, "Oh no, it's like it's much bigger." And I was like, "Yeah, it is." But the only like most recent comparable is that Weber Subban trade. That's what well, your wording was. This feels like hmm. exactly. That, that's why you corrected me. So th- thank you for the clarification there because I did. You say said that. that, and that that makes a lot of difference because 
how do you feel about something? Well, you think about the last time you felt it. And this was like, oh, wait, this is a much bigger seismic shock than that. I agree. And, and we, I mean, we ultimately agreed and stuff again. Because keep in mind, like if, if, you, if all those guys get dealt that we just talked about, that ripples out into the rest of the NHL, doesn't it? It does. And, it, and it, then it creates a landscape of like who's picking up these players and then like who become, vi- who become even more like viable contenders. Franchise altering. It's not just franchise altering for Florida, not just franchise altering for Calgary if they move those guys. It's for the teams that pick those guys up. And when, when Steve Dangle is still doing trade tree videos from his basement in 2040, uh, will the Matt Kachuk trade have a hundred different branches coming off Jonathan Huberto getting traded, Mackenzie Weger tra- getting traded? Yeah, like that's, that's actually the last thing I wanted to say was exactly that. Yeah. The, the potential like trade tree here that we have on our hands is ridiculous. Like this could probably, if this lasted 30 years, not surprising. Like that you could see a part at least keep going. I agree. I agree. It'd be nuts. Well, I, I just mentioned a, a big Montreal defenseman for defenseman trade. Let's get uh, our resident Habs fans' thoughts on the Jeff Petrie for Mike Matheson trade. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Evan? Um, so... Very quickly with people saying, oh, like whatever, who this got fleece, whatever that honestly, like I think um, Ken Hughes did very well considering current landscape deal Petrie. Rylan, I've talked about this a whole bunch before the trade happened about how for us to move Petrie, you would have to retain. The problem is that I, I say problem, but it's not really a problem. It's a good thing for us is that Hughes is smart so far from what we've seen and he doesn't want to retain it's also like bergerman screwed us cap wise so that we have all these shitty ass contracts anyway um good thing is that in this trade we didn't retain at all um yes we got a roster player back that is you could argue expensive but we saved cap there which we ultimately used to resign a young player that we liked that i think is a good player for us in rem Pitlick. And we got back a decent player and a guy that is substantially younger than Petrie. I think what people are forgetting is that Petrie's 34 and Mike Matheson is 27, 28. And I read different articles about this, kind of just see other people's thoughts and stuff, just to kind of see if they align with my own. And it was interesting to see how the arc of this trade, because Mike Matheson the Mike Matheson acquisition itself reminds me of when we originally got Jeff Petrie from Edmonton. When we originally acquired Petrie, he was 27, I think. So same sort of um, age as Matheson. And he was then able to improve vastly with us over the, over the, the years that he spent with us, the seven seasons he spent in Montreal. So there was a storyline about how like, is Mike Matheson like potentially Jeff Petrie 2.0 in that regard, right? So it's something that's interesting. The other part is that we got a player that might be able to help us moving forward as well, which I think is nice. He alleviates pressure from our young defensemen so they don't get absolutely freaking slaughtered when we tank this season, because we should. Thank you, Kent Hughes. And um, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. And, and then with, with Pittsburgh... 
it's just like Ron Hextall just going all in to compete. I mean, if anything, the the Latang and the Malkin extensions signal the fact that they're going all in with this core that they have to win. So getting Petrie is in line with that. Is it questionable? Yes, very much so. But it fits with what they wanted to do. And so in that regard, it works out for both sides. Um, and so I'm not really going to declare a winner. I think both sides got something they wanted out of it. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. But your turn, I guess. You guys, whatever you guys think. Go ahead. I don't know you wanted to hear my opinion, right? Because I said, Oh, yes, yes, yes. We talked about that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so my, my opinion, I'll start with Pittsburgh because it's a lot shorter. Ian Bailey, who honestly is a bit of a recollection project in the sense that he has offensive upside. He scored five goals in his first game. Uh, we've seen a no, lot he of didn't. four goals in his first game and the, and the shootout winner. No, no, he had three three a hat trick and he had the game winning. Uh, he had the game right. winner. It was, th- it was three in the shootout winner. Yeah. It felt like five because he's facing the Leafs. Um, but we've seen a lot of guys who you're like, okay, who are you? Stick them beside Crosby. It's like, ah, I know you. <laughs> Chris that's a, great very, that's a very long list of players, but yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that's just kind of like, I think adding more roster pieces to a capped out team, always a good thing. <laughs> Jeff Petrie, we've always seen him be best as not the best defenseman on your team. So they have Chris Letang. Hopefully you can shield Petrie a little bit and you, we get to see him against lesser competition and probably come back a little bit more to form. Sweet. Done there. From the Habs perspective, you guys did get a pick, right? It was a third? Um, I believe. It was like a third or a fourth or something, but we got a pick back, which is which yeah. also helps us. Yeah. So you get a pick and you get a guy who is pretty good defensively, not a lot of offensive upside, but a lot of your young defensemen are, are offensive. So you brought in a guy who gets to help shield the young guys from just bleeding out playing in the NHL throughout a rebuild. So that way you're not shooting their confidence as they're learning how to play D. And mind you, by the time you guys probably want to com- actually be competing, I think his bio won't be outrageous. So that's why I don't think it's a terrible trade because if you need to cut ties with this contract, I think it's possible. But for now, you just have a guy who, well, for his career, poor guy, he has to be one of the better defensemen trying to just lock it down, teaching the young guys. That's just the role he's going to be in. Uh, Stu, what do you, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, well, I, I initially looked at this trade and went, what are you doing, Kent Hughes? Like, you're, you're trading two years of Jeff Petrie for quite a few more years of Mike Matheson at just uh, just over $2 million less. But I guess like that, that cap space is actually going to be important to them um, to have. Bridges you out of the Drew in deal. And, and just as you, as a, as a rebuilder, it's sort of important to have as much cap space as you can so that you can take on, some bad contracts for picks. Um, and as, as Riley said there, um, by the time that this, this deal sort of starts to look really bad, you might be able to, to either flip it or buy it out and not be totally screwed. Um, there are, it is backloaded in some bonuses, which is a little scary when you're trying to buy out a player, but 
Anywho, uh, and from Pittsburgh's perspective, uh, as Evan was talking, I've just I just had this in my in the back of my mind, and it's just like Pittsburgh is competing as long as eighty seven is in a, is in their jersey, and that's and that's what this move is to them. It's that Jeff Petrie helps them more next season than Michael Matheson will. Dan Paling. Let's not forget that he was in the trade. Yeah, no, no, no. Yes. Definitely. Like, let me. And get, Ryan Paling. I'll, I'll wrap up like quickly. Like the Paling thing. Who who knows at this point? Who the heck knows? Right. And knowing knowing Pittsburgh with how they've been able to just bring in guys that we've never heard of, and then they end up playing well, right? Like I, I could see working out for him, and I I'd be happy to see that for him because kind of had a rough time and stuff, like breaking into the NHL. And then the, the last thing I wanted to just bring up was that. Mike Matheson used to be represented by Ken Hughes. The current contract that we're seeing right now, um, Ken Hughes basically negotiated the contract for Mike Matheson. Um, so he's quite familiar with the player, and he and he's seen the player over his years. You know, when when Matheson was in was in Florida, right? He signed that contract. That's kind of you know carried him now to to Pittsburgh and then now back like to to Montreal. So the. GM knows the player well. I think that's important for Habs fans to know that. It's not some random schmuck that we just picked up. Okay. So that helps. And he believes that Matheson is someone that can help our young defensemen along, which I think is really key in a rebuild, right? Because there's one part of development before you get to the NHL team, but then when you're in, you know, your your first couple of years in the league. You need to develop in order to stay in the league. It's just a fact. You need to constantly be getting better in this league to to stay in the league. So having someone like that in our lineup to help our young guys along, I think is great. It's not the same argument, but it's making a similar-ish argument that I've heard when people talk about the Leafs getting Matt Murray is the Leafs' new head of goaltending was Matt Murray's like goaltending coach when he was a kid and he continues to see him like every summer. Do I really care? Like if they had some sort of connection before that, that like I'm sure it, it can help, but at the end of the day, the player is the player. I think you're right, Stu, but I just wanted to bring that up as another yeah. factor in this. No, it it's just a funny, I don't know, it's a funny thing that often gets pulled out with with sort of trades and different signings and stuff is how well the the the, the staff or somebody knows the, the guy. Well, the unless you're Chicago, that's, that's gonna, like Chicago, like with like Bo, uh, Stan Bowman and you just literally just recycled back. Players, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean. <laughs> but like, well, I think uh, we should take it to our last um, bit of bit of fun for the for the evening. Um, so I will pass it on to Riley, who had this fun idea, and I will let him explain it to us. All right. So, in a nutshell. We have the tall versus the small. What we did was I issued out the offer of pick a team, go. One of you gets to build the tallest team or like the highest average or a really high average height. One of you picks the really small height and then we'll do seven game series of sim and determine who's the winner. But there's one little twist and that's 
each person, so Evan and Stu, will each get three guesses at who's on each other's team. And if they guess right on each of them, they get that goal lead going into each game. So, who wants to uh, reveal their roster? Or, sorry, who wants to reveal their strikes first? Stu, I'll let you go first. Okay. I will strike Marty Sanoli. Wait, okay, wait, hold on. Before we... Uh, Riley, do you want me to, like, tell him, like, oh, that's right, that's wrong, like... No, do it all at the end. Stu, guess all three. And then we'll... we'll Either you can say it... Do you guys want to say it to our roster, or do you want to say it, like, at after... No, you know what? So, like, I think what we'll do, I think it would be interesting if... We'll just... He'll say his three, I'll say my three, and then at the end, we'll just go through everything. That's it. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, cool. All right. So... Marty St. Louis. Yep. You're crumbling. Uh, Johnny Hockey. Yep. And Doug Gilmore. Okay. All right, Evan. Matt Sundin. Patrick Line. And can't teach size, Hal Gill. All right, Evan, you reveal your team first. Okay, so um, you got one of them right. You got Marty St. Louis right. Basically, I knew that you were probably going to guess that, but I didn't give a crap. I put him on the team because Short King, Short King Hall of Famer, like just completely. Right, okay, so the rest of my team. So uh, just I actually created lines and stuff, at least just for now. But whatever, you guys can shit on my lines. I don't really give a shit. But so my my quote-unquote first line is uh, Alex DeBrincat with Marcel Dion and Patrick Kane, which is Ooh. ridiculous offensively. And then on this quote-unquote second line, I have Marty St. Louis playing with Stan Mikita and Rod Gilbert. And then, so you no longer have Marty St. Louis? I don't, so that's a strikeout. So wait, can I replace him then? Uh, do you, did you pick an extra? I did. So that extra takes that spot. Oh, that's fine. Okay, hold on. Yeah. I'll, I'll, get, I'll name the extra at the end. Um, then my quote-unquote third line is um, Pocket Rocket himself, Dave Keon, and uh, the Roadrunner himself, Ivan uh, nice. So I- extensive amount of cup winning experience there. My extra for it is Dennis Merrick, a former Caps player who scored 50 and 60 goals back-to-back seasons. 135 points, career high. Um, he was he basically helped the Cavs make it to the playoffs for the first time. Um, this guy's a beast. If you actually look at his career stats, he's basically a point of game player's entire career. Um, like 888 games played, 878 points scored. So very good player. And then defense, I have Ray Bork with Brian Rafalski, Phil Housley with Bob Bond, who is a ex-Leafs legend. This guy was literally an absolute wrecking ball, like defensively. That's why I put him with Housley, who's the greatest American OFD of all time. Um, then I have Pierre Pilot, three-time Norris Trophy winner, back in back with Chicago when he played. And I have five-time Stanley Cup champion J.C. Tremblay playing with him. And then my extra defenseman is Risto, Risto Siltanen. Silt, Siltanen? Whatever. It's a five-foot-eight guy that like no one's ever heard of. But I look at his stats, and I was like, 
this guy's pretty good. And like, I wanted to highlight players that no one's ever heard of. And then in net, nice. I love this. In net, I have the shortest NHL player in history, Roy Waters. They also named him yep. Shrimp Waters. He's five foot three. He's a Hall of Fame goalie. He won basically the MVP of the league and he won uh, the Vesna. This guy was an absolute beast, guys. And he like 66 shutouts. Insane. Insane. Okay, now my other goalie, Normie Smith. This guy only played in the league for two freaking years. And when he did, he won two cups. He also won a Vesna trophy and like a Conn Smythe as well. So this guy was a beast when he played. He mic dropped his career. He came in, fucked shit up. No, literally, dropped. he literally did everything you could in two years. And he just dipped. Baller. Like baller. Five foot seven baller. Anyway. So I'm I'm really happy with my team. I thought about taking there were so many different players I thought about taking. Um ultimately I didn't end up taking Cole Caulfield only because I realized I was like shit, I should take Stan Mikita. Stan Mikita is like five foot eight short king, dude. No Nathan Gerby. No Villy Leno. Unfortunately not. Um I also really, really, really thought heavily of taking like um boom boom jeffrey on i thought that that'd be a lot of fun like no doug gilmore no doug gilmore because i figured that you would have guessed that um i thought about taking terrible ted Lindsay himself i also thought about taking karel kaprizov because he's a really freaking good player um and i didn't take goudreau because i'm like you're gonna guess that probably i also didn't take Marshan, because I thought that was too obvious for you. I didn't take uh, Theo Flurry also because I thought that that'd be too obvious. So those guys were definitely like on my radar. But there's like a whole bunch of guys that are like 5'10, 5'11 that I was like, oh my God, I could take them. But I'm like, in the spirit of like the theme, I didn't. Like, I'll give you an example real quick. Like, I like just. Wayne Gretzky? Well, yeah, I could have taken Gretzky. I, I could have taken Iserman, Sackick, Crosby. Those guys are all 5'11". Trotche's 5'11". Adam Oates is 5'11". Dale Howarchuk's 5'11". Um, there's, a, there's a couple other guys that are 5'10 that are very good. Dennis Savard, Joe Malone, um, Paul Correa, Pavel Bure. Like, just ridiculous names. So, well, the names are pretty normal. Yeah, and then, like, <laughs> and then on, like, defense, like, really quickly, like... I thought about taking Quinn Hughes and like Kale McCarr or even like Adam Fox, but I was like, eh, nah, this should be highlighting guys that are really good and old and no one's ever heard of them. I, I was scared. I didn't want to take Doug Harvey only because like, I thought you would have guessed that Stu. And like, I also was a dumbass. I, I will say that really quickly because I thought that we'd be guessing more to be honest. So I buried certain guys because I, I was afraid that you would pick them and then I would get screwed on it. Um, hey, I mentioned the psychology to it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I, I, like Dan Boyle was on my list. Randy Carlisle, Mark Howe, Kimo Timonen, um, Tim Horton, <laughs> even like Bob Murray. Like these guys are all really good defensemen. So. Wait, wait, these are all the guys on the short list. Um, yeah, just guys ah, that might throw ah, him off. Ah, 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 ah. Exactly. Um, and then very quickly, just want to give shout outs. Um, Dump Worsley and Charlie Hodge. I thought about taking two. The five foot seven King Gump Worsley and Charlie Hodge, five foot six. Um, I'm like, damn, these guys. 
Um, and there's like a, the, the, the research I did doing this was crazy. Cause like, I just, I learned like so much about the shortest players in the NHL history. And so that was, um, that was a lot of fun. Too bad for me. You didn't take Gump Worsley cause there was famously a headline about him when, uh, he played the Leafs in the Stanley cup final in 1967 that, uh, he could have let it train through his five hole in that series. Uh, now, wait, Evan, do you consider Johnny Bauer? I did. I did. Yeah, but, okay. but he's like six foot, and I was like, no, no, no. I got to gotta go like short king all the way here. No, he's not. He's listed as like 5'8". Right? No, really? I mean, he was listed at like five. I don't know. I, oh, I thought I, I was like 5'9", at least, or above, at the very minimum. I wouldn't like short king, short king on this shit. Yeah, yeah. So power. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I don't have Marty St. Louis. That that was fine. I, I was okay with that, but I have to have him on my team. Um like guys just literal beast. Um yeah. Was five nine. Yeah. Um okay, wait. So Stu, what's what's your team? Who did I did I did I get any one of them right? All right. Go ahead, Stu. All right. My team is All Star MVP John Scott. <laughs> I I thought uh, I knew you were gonna take him, but I was like, eh, it's not gonna do much of a blow if I take John Scott off your He was gonna get penalized if he didn't. Yeah, exactly. So Brian, it helps me. Brian Boyle, uh, Nick Andropov, okay, Matt Sundin. There's so I dealt a blow there. Drake. Okay. Uh, Blake Wheeler, Jason Arnott, uh, Mario Lemieux. <clears throat> Jumbo, <clears throat> Vincent Le- Vincent LeCavalier. Oh, damn it! I have all these guys on my Eric, list to guess. Eric Lindros. Yep. Uh, and then on D, I have well Zidane Chara. Because you can't <laughs> have a you can't have a tall team without Zidane Chara. Yep. I was gonna That's guess illegal. that, but I'm like, I'm not gonna take away like the crowning piece of your thing, right? That makes sense. Uh, Tyler Tyler Myers, six foot eight. Hey, hey yo. Alex, yeah. Al Gill, six foot seven. Hey, yo. Jamie, Jamie Alexiak, six foot seven. Yeah. Chris Pronger, who's six foot six. Larry Robinson, who's six foot four. And then Ben Bishop and Jacob Markstrom, who are both listed at six six, are my goaltender. And then who were your extras, too? Um, uh, I scratched them off, so I'd have to go back. Um, well, Derek Booger, Derek Bugard was my only extra forward. Okay, so you think it's a spot. <laughs> um, and then I have to go find a new defenseman, I guess, for Hal Gale. Yeah. So the short kings get to start off every single game up one nothing. Well, they're gonna need it. So wait, wait, hey, so yo, we're hey, wait, 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 hold on. So I don't have Marty Saint Louis, right? You don't have Marty St. Louis. Okay, but he doesn't have Matt Sundin, and he doesn't have Hal, Hal Gill. That is correct. Okay, all right, cool. Well, you know what? Y- yeah, no, buddy, I just took out. I just, I just took out a big player from you. Uh, they actually both, both from they're both court. big players. Literally a big player. Anyway, I'm like, I'm like, he has to pick Hal Gill. I'm like, I'm gonna take Hal Gill away because I'm like, yeah, I thought about. I'm like, he's gonna take Chara. It's, it's like almost too obvious, right? You know what I mean? But I was like. I can't take away the biggest guy. It's just no fun. Hal Gill is literally the best defender in the league. Ask, like, I don't know. He was a beast, so I'm like, he's going to take him too, because, like, he's really good. And he's also freaking huge. 
Um, I, I'm kind of kicking myself because when I saw Jason Arnett's name, when I was going through like compiling a list of players, I was like, he's going to take Jason Arnett. Jason Arnett is a really freaking good player. And I'm like kicking myself what? for not having guessed that. Like, I no, because like, I think the line, I guess was decent because I'm like, line is underratedly six, five. I don't think people would know that. And I'm like, I was thinking, I'm like, Stu might take line a because i'm like line is really freaking good you put line a with all these other guys i'm like it's pretty good you know so nah i decided to go for the better winnipeg giant guy <laughs> in blink wheeler i also have yeah, wheeler on my list so yeah anyway so the follow-up to this is going to be as i said we're going to compile these teams into nhl we're going to have them play against each other of the cbu's play we're going to watch we're going to maybe do some commentary and post some clips of the commentary. Recap some of the fun bits that happened and the end result. Sounds good. Should Wait, be hold on, hold on. Let me, let, let me like, because we're on air right now too. Is there anything, like, okay, is there anything if, for the winner? Like a prize or? Yeah, or we're just, we're just going with bragging rights here. We can do bragging rights. I, I don't really care. I'm just asking I, for fun. Well, you guys can bet with each other. I have to be impartial. Stu, Stu, do you have any uh, any ideas here? I mean, we don't have to do anything, but I figured to just ask at least for fun. I have, I have a funny one. Sure. For uh, Stu to you, you have to buy a Shane Wright Habs shirt. All right, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that because that's going to be expensive to customize stuff because it's just yeah. the Habs. Yeah. That's the only reason why. If it was actually like affordable, more affordable, I'd be like, okay, sure. But like, if you could buy like a clearance one. Buy a uh, buy buy just like a, a cheap plain white shirt and fabric markers. There you go. Yeah, but like I don't want to look like a poor man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wait, hold on. Have you guys seen this? Like, the, <laughs> just to lighten the mood a bit, also because like other things like um, <laughs> I think it was Jordan or was it you, Riley, that you sent it to me today? It was hysterical. It was like a, it was a patched up Goudreau jersey that said like oh, yeah. Hubert Huberto instead. That was so freaking funny. Uh, uh, when I, we already have one at home. <laughs> no, but here, um, Stu, I'm well, gonna send it in our chat. But like, just oh, I saw just, it. It's, it's when, really um, funny. When I was, uh, I forget how old I was, but uh, it would have been right after. Um, yeah, it was. So it was after Alfredson had left and gone to Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to a game in Ottawa with uh, my best friend, and he had an Alfredson shirt, and he taped over the Alfred and just put Carl. So it was a Carlson, and then he put Carlson's number instead of Alfie's number. So he had a Car- he had an Eric Carlson shirt instead of an Alfredson shirt to take to Ottawa. And that's 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 some real bootlegging right there on a on a jersey. But it's it, it's funny though when people do that. It's actually like super funny. I love it. Yeah, it's so I funny. It. Like I, I'm thinking about like the the bootleg jerseys after the um, Pacioretty trade when we acquired tatar and th- th- man those memes are, are are literally a modern day classic so uh yeah anyway shall we uh shall we wrap well, up here i believe that takes us to the end of our time thank you so much for listening um and make sure you check out uh, all of the the reporting that is being done uh by some fantastic journalists 
uh, at The Athletic, at TSN, at Sportsnet, at CBC, um, all across those platforms uh, to inform yourself about what's going on in Hockey Canada with Daryl Cates and all of these other situations. Uh, If you would like to reach us, our email is therealhousewivesofhockey at gmail.com. We can be reached for questions, comments, concerns, uh, fun ideas you have for the pod. Uh, If you think you can beat some of Riley's fun ideas, go ahead. I'd love to see you try. Getting getting into Riley's head uh, sounds like a scary... uh, Scary place to be. How would you want? Uh, wait, can I just say a breaking news that just came out? Yes. We love breaking news on the podcast. It's a tough business. Strand bought a house, got married in less than a week before being traded to Seattle. He was notified on his honeymoon that he was dealt. Oh. Oh, sheesh. Who, report- who reported this? I don't have a link for it, unfortunately. Well, we wish him nothing but the best in Seattle. He's a good player. Yeah, you should do well there, but we will. So that's a weird trade to me. Yeah, we will see. I know when I broke that trade last uh, night. Right. We don't have the time to go into it. Yep. That's that's one of those things in the life of the NHL player that sucks. Yep. But sucks at a rich people. Hey, I wonder maybe it goes to uh, to Johnny Gaudreau. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Oh I've heard about that happening. Well, that's uh, that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us, folks.